If you want to know what is really happening in the world today, you need to read the Parsha HaShavua, the weekly Torah reading. Join Rabbi Mendel Lipska for the next hour as he delves and enumerates the themes running through the weekly Torah Parsha, only on 101.9 High FM. And a wonderful Erev Shabbos to all of you. It's been some time since we've been together, since I've had the opportunity of sharing some ideas, some thoughts. Most of you are back from holiday. School has started, and it's, well, a new beginning, a new beginning in so many different ways. Of course, I hope those who've been away and those who've been here have had a refreshing break. If you've been to the, uh, well, the well-known holiday maker places here in South Africa, I hope you had a great time. If you're overseas, I hope you had a great time wherever you were. It's good to have you back, and it's good to sit together in this area of Shabbos and talk about these new beginnings. If you have children who are going to school, well, if you have children who are starting school, whatever the case may be, may it be a blessed school year. It's a year where your children will develop and grow and learn and pick up ideas and attitudes, share friendships, and, of course, become bigger and better every single day. It's a new beginning, as I said before, a new beginning for the school year, and a new beginning for the calendar year. We've been away, and a new beginning for this particular show. And it's also a new beginning, because today we begin the Parsha of Shemot, new Parsha of Shemot, which is not only a new Parsha, but an actual fact, a new book, the second book of the Torah, the book of Exodus, called Shemot, which we'll talk about soon. It's a book that talks to us about so many important things, and as we go through this week's Parsha, you'll hear and see concepts and lessons that we must learn in life in order to understand how to go forward in the best possible way. Today's a very special day. It's the 20th, I'm sorry, it's the 20th of Tevet, which is the yard site of the Rambam the great codifier of Torah. Rambam brought to us the entirety of Torah in his 14 famous books, enumerating each law in the precise language that the Rambam was known for. In fact, he himself refers to his language, the golden language, the language which is precise. And scholars since his time have been delving into the ideas that he taught us and why he uses certain words and why he puts things in particular places. He was a tremendous teacher of Torah. He was a great man. He was a physician. He wrote books on law. He wrote books on philosophy. He wrote books on self-development. He wrote books on how to, in fact, develop life to a higher level. He was a phenomenal human being. In fact, on his the epitaph on his stone reads, Mimosha ad Moshe lokom Moshe, from Moshe, the great Moshe that we read about in this week's Parsha, Moshe Rabbeinu, the leader of the Jewish people, the first leader of the Jewish people, until Moshe ben Maimon, the Rambam, there was no one as great. And while, of course, we're not sure exactly where this saying comes from, but it's well known and well accepted throughout the scholarly Jewish world. The Rambam, of course, taught us how to understand Torah in not a simple way, but in a clear way. He writes in his opening remarks that he did this in order to ensure that future generations would understand and know the entirety of Torah without having to delve into the difficulties of sometimes learning 
Talmud, the Gemara, that deals with these laws. And while, of course, we retain the Mishnah, the Talmud, as the essential part of Jewish learning, nonetheless, it's the language and precision of the Rambam that enables us to draw out the precise law that is being discussed. Because after all, in halachic discussion, there are different points of view, different attitudes, different ideas, people coming from different directions within the same law. And while, of course, Elu ve'elu divre elekim chayim, our sages teach us, no matter what position you take within a Torah perspective, within an authentic Torah perspective, it is considered divine words. Nonetheless, when it comes to the halachic ruling, there is only one way. And this is something which the Rambam taught us today being his Yorzeit. It's a day which contains within it incredible dimensions of blessing. The Yorzeit of any human being is a special day because, after all, it's the day where the Neshama, his soul, ascends to higher levels within the spiritual realms and in fact to much higher levels in the spiritual realms. One can only imagine an individual such as the Rambam, the great sage teacher that he was, where his soul is ascending to on a day like this. And this brings about a tremendous flow of blessing to each and every one of us here below. You might not know, but there is, in fact, a worldwide movement studying the Rambam on a daily basis. We study three chapters of Rambam, and in this way we finish the entire 14 books within one year. This is a program which was initiated by the Lubavitcher Rebbe of blessed memory, where he said that Rambam brings tremendous unity within Torah, and this is a time that we strive for unity, we need unity, and through the study of Rambam we are able to incorporate that type of Torah unity into our own lives. We look around the world and we ask ourselves, what is really needed in this world? Is there a lack of this or a lack of that? What there is a true lack of is unity and a sense of true belonging together. And not only a sense of communal unity, which is absolutely vital, but internal personal unity. After all, a human being has different dimensions and different elements, different structures. There's the intellectual, there's the emotional, there's the physical, there's the spiritual, and very often they're in conflict one with another. Our mind tells us one thing, our heart pulls us in a different direction. Our bodies desire certain things, our soul says, look for higher and more spiritual things. And this is why one of the great ambitions of an authentic human being is to create a sense of unity within his own life where everything works together in a way that elevates the individual and develops the individual to a far higher level, enabling the human being to achieve what, in fact, is his actual potential. And this is what the Rebbe spoke about in terms of the Rambam. The Rambam created a unity of Torah. He is the only codifier who includes every single commandment, all the commandments, from the very beginning until the very, well, apex of our existence, which is the coming of Mashiach, which he talks about toward the end of his book. And this is something which is important for us to understand. On this day, his yard site, the 20th, of Tevet, when we remember what he taught us and we learn what he taught us and we strive to understand more and more what he taught us, try to understand how he thought, how he spoke, how he wrote, 
and how he ruled, we bring down a tremendous level of blessing into our own lives. And as I mentioned before, if this world, if we ourselves need anything, it is the concept of unity, unity in a far greater structure, universal unity, communal unity, unity between nations, unity between races, unity between different groups of people, but ultimately, of course, unity within ourselves. And when we strive for unity within ourselves, we are able to achieve a dimension of greater unity within the world. And this is why it's a special day. It's not only an average Erev Shabbos, if one could use those terms, but it's a special Erev Shabbos because it's the 20th of Tevet, the Yortzet of the Rambam, and with this introduction we'll have a greater and deeper insight into the Parsha that we're about to learn more of this soon. This is the Parsha Hashavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. As mentioned before, we start not only a new Parsha this week, we start an entirely new book within the five books of the Torah. We finished last week. We concluded the first book, the book of Genesis, the book of Bereshit. And this week we start Shmot. Shmot, of course, the book of Exodus, the second book, which talks about the development of the Jewish people as a nation within Egypt and the great stories that follow. We talk for a few moments, of course, about the incredibly difficult and painful exile they went through in Egypt, but how they walked out with tremendous strength and pride as a great and powerful Jewish nation. We hear, we talk, we learn about Moshe, the individual who was the ultimate leader of the Jewish people, and how initially he resisted any appointment, even though God wanted him to be the leader of the Jewish people. We're talking about Shemot, we're talking about the book of Exodus, we're talking about the story of the Jewish people. Last week we spoke about Jacob and his family, and from a handful of people that descended into Egypt, 70 souls, came out a nation of millions of people. And although initially they lived a very good life in Egypt, there was food, there was water, there was land for grazing. Joseph, of course, the brother, was the viceroy, second in command. The Jewish people lived, well, a perfect life, or so it seemed. They lived a life of great blessing, great material opportunity, and to a large degree, a life of peace of mind as well. And then suddenly one day, well, not one day, but suddenly over a period, it changed, changed dramatically. A new king arose in Egypt, a new pharaoh. Our sages differest, was it an actual new pharaoh, or was it new in concept but not new in body? And this pharaoh forgot, conveniently forgot, that Joseph was, well, the individual who actually saved Egypt, Mitzrayim, from complete destruction. During the years of the Great Famine, the seven great years of the, well, the seven years of the Great Famine, well, Egypt was on the brink of total disaster. And it's only through the incredible wisdom and preparation of Joseph that he turned Egypt into an exceptionally wealthy place introducing all sorts of ideas that made it rise among the nations and enabled it to survive the great famine and not only survive, but grow as a result of their activity as well because all the world came to purchase food in Egypt. But this new pharaoh forgot, conveniently forgot, that Joseph is the one 
Joseph the Jew was the one who saved Egypt from total destruction. And of course, this can actually form part of our current headlines in the papers around the world today, where so many individuals conveniently forget the Jewish contribution to whatever society it might be, <clears throat> not only to the world in general, what the Jewish people have given, but specifically in certain countries, areas, where the Jewish people have done so much. And for some strange reason, the people there, sometimes the leadership, very often the leadership there, forget what, in fact, Joseph, metaphor for the Jewish people, had actually contributed to that land, and they turn on the Jewish people. And this is why, currently, we are experiencing a weird, a strange, a frightening rise of anti-Semitism particularly in places that should in fact should in fact acknowledge the incredible contribution the Jewish people made to those societies and instead of showing gratitude they show this type of contempt but we're talking about the Parsha and the king advises his ministers that we have to be very careful of this strange people the Jewish people hard to understand. For so many years they lived side by side in great comfort, brotherhood and peace. And suddenly, he says we have to be very careful of this people because they will overwhelm us. And systematically he begins to enslave the Jewish people until well, almost the entire nation except for the tribe of Levi, almost the entire nation is under the rule of Egypt, the Pharaoh, and his ministers, his henchmen, and they actually go into this bitter, bitter slavery that lasts so many years. And one wonders, first of all, how it happened, and once it happened, how the Jewish people were able to survive that incredible Exile, that incredible enslavement, that incredible tyranny. And not only survive, but walk out eventually as a proud and powerful nation. The family is no longer a family in the sense that it's not 70 souls, it's millions of people. And how their fortunes change from great comfort to incredible distress. And how, in fact, they ultimately march out as a powerful, dignified, royal, noble people. And there are a number of answers to that. First of all, the very name of this week's Parsha, Shmot. And what is the translation of Shmot? Shmot basically means the name. These are the names of the heads of the tribes of the Jewish people. And the sages, all the commentaries ask the question. We already know their names. They were counted a number of times in the book of Bereshit. Why is it necessary to count them again? And various answers come up. One to say that ultimately Hashem is trying to show how precious this people are to him. And this is why a person counts his precious possessions time and again. But also to indicate to indicate what, in fact, is the backbone, what, in fact, is the name of this week's Parsha. And not only the name of this week's Parsha, but, in fact, the entire book of Shemot. What is its foundation? What is its spine? What is its backbone? And the answer, of course, is Shemot. Names. 
and we wonder why it is that names should have such importance that not only is it the actual name of the Parsha and the name of the book, but it becomes the essential theme of the entire Parsha, the essential theme of the entire book of Exodus, which talks about, well, slavery to begin with, the development and growth of the people, and ultimately their great liberation, the great Exodus. And this is why the sages refer to this book as the book of Exodus, the book that talks to us about the great miracle of liberation. What's so special about names that it was chosen to, in fact, become the name of the Parsha and the book and its backbone? Names are interesting things. On the one hand, names are very, very external. You know, we have a name so somebody else can call us, refer to us as we them. Names, on the one hand, are very, very external to the essence of the individual. The person himself doesn't necessarily need a name. It's only because of contact with others and interaction with others that a name is necessary. But our sages tell us, particularly our Kabbalistic sages and Hasidic sages, tell us that a name touches the very essence of an individual. This is why when a person falls into a coma, you should call out his name because he can hear that. It touches the very essence of his being. And here is a thing which touches the extreme external dimension of an individual and the extreme internal dimension of an individual. It connects the outside and the inside, the innermost and the outermost. What is that all about? In order for a person to retain his dignity, in order for a person to retain his true belief in what he stands for, you need two things. You need to look the part on the external level. You also have to be the part on the internal level. In between, there are all sorts of feelings, emotions, passions, all sorts of intellectual activities, rationales, understanding, philosophy. But those things can change. Those things can move from situation to situation. If a person retains a very strong, a very solid external appearance and the essence of his being is unwavering, his faith is absolute, that individual can survive anything. Even with feelings, the most powerful. Even with intellect at the most powerful level. A person doesn't really have the strength to withstand all sorts of external onslaughts. But if a person, as I said before, has the two extremes, the innermost and the outermost, that individual can resist and survive any situation. And this is why our sages tell us something very interesting. One of the reasons why the book of Shemot is called Shemot names is because the Jewish people refused to change their Hebrew names into the Egyptian culture and Egyptian names. They retained a tremendous sense of external identity. It was language, names, and the unique Jewish garments, something which is extremely external to the individual. And they also retained an intense and powerful and unwavering faith in what they believed in, the one God has taught to them by the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and in particular Jacob, their father and grandfather. 
This is what kept the Jewish people alive for hundreds of years in the most brutal and difficult exile. True, not all of them had it. Not all of them displayed that sort of dedication and devotion. But a significant minority did. And they were the ones who walked out of Egypt as a proud and noble nation. And this is something which is so true to our own lives. This is so true to our own realities. Do we allow external influences to tamper with the external dimensions of our own lives? Do we adopt non-Jewish names? Do we adopt non-Jewish language and non-Jewish garments? Do we allow the external dimension of our lives to be tampered with the seductive powers of any society? And by and large, tragically, we do. And this is an indication that unfortunately, unless you fight very, very hard against those influences, you might fail in your bid to retain a dignified dedication to that which you believe in. Do you retain that essential faith in God, in Torah, in the teachings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in the teachings of Moses? Do you retain with a tremendous sense of absoluteness, this is who I am? If you are able to retain and maintain the extreme external and the extreme internal, you will always survive. You will always come out on top. Yes, physically they may hurt you, but what you stand for, what you believe in, what you pass on to your children, what you teach your children, will always remain strong. You know, people often say, well, big deal, what's the difference what your name is? Big deal, what difference if you can be identified as a Jew through your garments or through your language. Big deal. As long as you feel it in the heart, as long as you understand it. Yes, feelings are important. Understanding is important. But those things are not powerful enough. They are not strong enough. As we've seen throughout history, when people begin to live a good life and there are no, well, seemingly no threats from the external surroundings, and they allow their hearts and minds to move here and move there and question this. And they allow their external features to deteriorate. They allow their internal faith to weaken. It's the end. And their philosophies and their feelings really cannot save them. This is why Shmut is the backbone, the name of this Parsha. Because it deals with the Jewish people who were in a glorified state of tremendous comfort. And then thrust into the abyss, into the darkness, into the pain of the worst possible type of exile. And they survive. Why do they survive? The name. The innermost and the outermost. They protected that. Yes, their hearts and minds were tampered with. But because they retained those two extremes, they survive as a powerful nation and march out in liberation with dignity and with nobility. More of that. This is the Pasha HaShavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. We're talking about names and how they touch the 
innermost and outermost dimensions of a person's life and the only absolute guarantee that as a result of being totally dedicated and authentic on your innermost and outermost levels, you will survive any type of difficulty. But before we talk about that a bit more, listen to this wonderful news. I'm talking about names. I'm talking about external features. I'm talking about garments. I'm talking about, well, language, external things. Let me tell you a personal story that should inspire you as it did me. One of the uh, reasons I was overseas just now was to attend the bar mitzvah of a grandson in Boston. And for his bar mitzvah, somebody gave him a very special gift. And that gift was a bunch of seats to the game of the Boston Celtics. The Celtics are one of the great, great basketball teams of the NBA in America. And to get good seats for some of their games as well, it's worth its weight in gold. And somebody who's close to him gave him a special gift uh, to him and his siblings of seats in the second row on the floor right behind the players. Now, those seats are almost impossible to get. People, well, people inherit those seats. And he gave it to him, and his father took him and his siblings along to the game, the Boston Celtics. And one of the great things, sitting so close to all the players, is that you get to get autographs from them. And he had a Boston Celtics cap, and he got autographs from almost every single player, except one. For whatever reason, this one was not feeling too good or not happy about his game. But any time somebody stuck something out to get the autograph, he waved them away. And just before the end of the game, when the players walk off, my grandson stuck out his uh, Boston Celtics cap, which had the autographs of every single player except his. I'm not going to mention his name, but he's huge, just under seven feet. Big, black, powerful, good player. And he waved my grandson away. And then he stops and turns around and points at my grandson. He says, I'm going to give you an autograph because you're wearing your yarmulke. Underneath this, uh, well, baseball cap, basketball cap that my grandson wore, he kept his yarmulke on. And this player was so impressed, this non-Jewish player, who refused everybody else during the game, turned around and said to my grandson, I'm going to give you an autograph because you're wearing your yarmulke. Now, we think those external things mean nothing. It means so much. How we appear in the eyes of the world is something that we have, well, very little understanding of. Sometimes we're ashamed. We hide behind all sorts of things. But in actual fact, when we do something decent with pride, people take notice. That's the story of my grandson. He got an autograph, and now his Boston Celtics cap has the signature of every single prayer. But as we go through the Parsha, there's something else of great importance that we mustn't overlook. Not enough time to talk about it in great detail this week, but we'll continue into next week, because this is a story that doesn't end for a long time. In fact, it never ends. And that's how Moshe grows up. Hamosha's life is saved by the daughter of Pharaoh. Hamosha is raised in the palace of Pharaoh. Hamosha has to escape Egypt because he stood up for the rights of his brethren who were enslaved. Hamosha develops as a great person in the home of his father-in-law Jethro. 
And Moshe walking through the wilderness, a shepherd taking care of his flocks, sees the burning bush and turns to it and wonders what that is all about. How God appears to Moshe and says, you are the one who is going to redeem the Jewish people. I am sending you as my messenger. And how Moshe resists again and again and again. Moshe feels that, well, the people won't have the strength to listen to him, to believe him. After all, they've been enslaved for so many years. How is it possible they're ever, ever going to get up of that bitter exile, of that bitter, bitter tyranny? How Moshe again and again talks to God, not wanting to accept the mantle of leadership, and how God continues to insist You, Moshe, are the chosen one. You, Moshe, you are the one who is going to lead the great march out of Egypt. And while, of course, it was a difficult road ahead, he had to come and somehow influence the elders that he comes in the name of God, and then to influence the entire nation that his message of salvation and redemption is not some sort of myth, but it's real, it's about to happen and how he is resisted by the people again and again because their spirits are broken. The people who have been enslaved in the worst possible way for hundreds of years, how could they possibly even think about redemption or liberation? This is what this parish is all about. And that, too, is the idea of names. Because, after all, what does Moshe appeal to? He appeals to their innermost level of faith to awaken that inner power, that inner potential, that incredible, incredible divine energy that emerges in a time of difficulty and challenge. And he becomes, every one of us becomes an individual who strives to be part of that great moment of liberation. And this is what this parish is all about. It's how names express themselves in so many different ways. Because while Moshe is talking to the entirety of the nation, a people who are physically and spiritually, emotionally, mentally broken, but he appeals to each and every one by his name, and not by calling out their name, but while he is speaking to a multitude, he is speaking to each individual within that multitude, personally and he talks to him and her and he says you can march out in this great and noble noble parade of liberation and freedom and march to sinai to receive the torah and perhaps as a people as a multitude they couldn't listen to moshe but individually they did because he touched their innermost name the very center of their being And how did Moshe do this? He understood it from within himself. When God speaks to Moshe, it's not only because Moshe is a man of greatness, incredible intelligence, leadership, whatever. It's because God spoke to him personally. He turned to see the burning bush, that strange phenomenon. And God turns to Moshe and he says, you are the individual. He speaks to Moshe individually, and Moshe, as a great leader, takes this message, takes this lesson of 
speaking to each and every single individual personally, although it appears to be speaking to a multitude, to a huge nation of people, the name. This is why, this is why the Parsha is called Shmot. This, in fact, is why the entire book of Exodus is called Shmot. The individual who rises to incredible, incredible levels. And this is the potential of each and every one of us. This is what we can do if we protect the innermost and outermost points of our life. So when you're in shul tomorrow, listen to the story. Listen to the story of the names. Listen to the story of the slavery. Listen to the story of God speaking to Moses. Listen to the story of Moses speaking to the elders and the people. Listen to the story and try to find some personal message. Let the name of the Parsha touch the name within you. And you will see a road of great opportunity, of great, not only possibility, but reality. Because once you touch the essence, you begin to bloom, develop, and grow. Listen carefully to the Parsha tomorrow, to the opening of the entire book of Shemot, the book of Exodus, the Shabbos.